Hi, this is Stuart Hardy with All In Sports Outreach. I'm so excited for you to hear episode number 77 of our podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Coach Kerry Timmerman. He's currently the co-offensive coordinator, wide receiver coach at Colleyville Heritage High School, Colleyville, Texas, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's married to Natalie, and they have three kids, ages 14, 11, and 8. I cannot wait for you to hear his his story, his passion for making Christ known through coaching both in his profession of coaching football and also actively involved with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So without further delay, let's jump right into it. Well, thanks for joining me today, Coach Timmerman. Glad to be here. You bet. So I always like to start these out with some background information. Just let the listeners know who you are so they can be familiar with a little bit about your background. So tell us maybe where you grew up, a little bit about your family growing up, and about your family today. Okay, well, uh, I was born in Clifton, Texas, so I'm Texas born and raised. I uh, grew up in a small town called Walnut Springs, Texas. Uh, my parents separated shortly uh, after I was in the third grade, moved to Arlington, Texas, and then uh, moved in with my dad to Springtown, Texas for my junior high years. And so I was there in uh, eighth grade for um, in Springtown, Texas for, for junior high where I started playing football and learned to love sports and played everything and anything I could, wasn't very good at it. Um, and then when I was a junior, then in my junior year, I moved back, uh, back to Arlington, Texas with my mom and uh, graduated from Arlington, Sam Houston. So uh, from there I went to college at Hardin-Simmons. Uh, I was the first person in my family to go to college and graduate. I uh, got my undergraduate degree after I transferred to Baylor University where I met my wife. Um, went back uh, a year after coaching junior high for one year. I went back to uh, get my master's in coaching college and coached at Hardin Simmons University for Coach Dale, uh, Jimmy Keeling, um, and then also coached at McMurray for one year, uh, for one season for Steve Keenum, uh, Case Keenum's dad. Have three children: uh, Doak, uh, Addie, and Brock. Addie is the oldest; she's 14, be a freshman next year. I have Doak's 11; he'll be a sixth grader next year, and. Brock is eight and will be a third grader next year. Uh, my wife, Natalie, is awesome, and she is a kindergarten teacher at Heritage Elementary, and she is uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's, you that's bet. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot going on. Yeah, a lot so of you, my life. You talked about a little bit about uh, your family growing up. Did you grow up a family of faith, and at what point did you realize that you needed a relationship with Jesus? So that's, that's a long story that I'll make really short. Uh, my mom always took us to, to church, mm-hmm. or tried to at some point. Uh, my dad was really never, uh, my dad talked about the man upstairs. He never really hmm. talked about Jesus and never really talked about God. But, you know, he, he was a good old country boy, and he, he believed in the man upstairs and doing right and honoring your family and all that good stuff. But um, came from kind of, a, kind of a broken home. His mom died when he was real young, and his dad remarried, and so his dad was a hard worker. My granddad was, you know, he always talked about how hard he worked, but my, my dad didn't really understand faith. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom understood that faith was important, but but didn't realize, I don't think she had a relationship with Christ until later on in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, what spurred mine was, after my parents divorced, I moved in with my dad in Springtown. I, I had a real bad go-kart accident, so I I had a go-kart accident where I crushed my face and I severed my left hand. Um, I was clinically dead when I got to the hospital and then they care-flatted me to uh, Harris Methodist in Fort Worth. 
I was in the hospital for about two and a half weeks. Um, I had a full facial reconstruction my senior year and a full uh, reattachment of my left hand. Um, and during that time, during that, that two weeks and then the months to follow, I had a lot of people in, in a small Christian town, small you know, Southern Baptist town, Springtown, that were talking to me actively about Jesus. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think he used uh, the wreck one to uh, exhibit himself to me. There was, there was a moment during the wreck where um, my, I, was, I was crying out to God. I always talk about, you know, when people get scared, they don't cry out to Buddha. They don't cry out to, you know, a higher power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone says, God, you know, God, don't let me die. God, don't let me die. And, and I did. I, I remember it vividly. I was, I was crying out saying, please, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Uh, I'm scared, and at one point, my dad, my dad finally gets to the scene of the accident and picks me up and puts me in the car. And when he puts me in the car and lays me down, um, he shuts the door. And at that moment, I just remember going from absolute chaos and fear to peace. And uh, there's there's verse scripture that talks about the the peace of Christ that passes all understanding mm-hmm. and knowledge. And that later I would learn that's what that moment was and it was very vivid very clear I, I talked to my family about saying you know, if I could ever go back to a moment in my life that's it because I remember looking up at my dad as he got in the car and he's in panic and terror and him just scared because I'm, I'm, there's blood everywhere and I'm, I'm, I'm hurt and I'm, uh, there's just all this fear and I just remember looking up at him and saying dad I'm gonna be fine I'm okay and, and I knew it I believed it and uh, I shouldn't have and I don't know why I, wasn't a man of faith then. I didn't, I didn't understand uh, what God's plan for my life was. But at that moment, I knew I was going to be okay, and I knew why. Hmm. Um, so that kind of was my faith journey. Uh, from there, I accepted Christ from FCA uh, at an FCA rally with Chance Yankee, a guy that played football with us. And his, his dad, Jim Yankee, was my high school defensive backs coach in Springtown. And from there, my coaches kind of helped raise my faith. Uh, they just They were the ones that were at church with me. I would walk to church Sunday mornings by myself. My dad and my stepmom didn't go. Um, and I was just, I became enthralled with God. I just wanted to learn. So I had bought a Bible. I read the Bible. I uh, went to Sunday school, went to Wednesday night church, was part of a youth group, was really lucky to have a great FCA huddle um, that that I got to be around people that, that showed me the love of Jesus. And a lot of those guys now are either principals or coaches or uh, in the ministry. Um, so I was very lucky early to be surrounded by kind of the great cloud of witnesses, if you will, just the people that support you and grow you. But that's that's the early part. Man, that's a good testimony. It's also a reminder, too, of our role as believers is to love on people, you know, and to pour into people because we never know what they're going through. We don't, a lot of times we don't know their family situation. That's good. It's a good reminder, I know, for me. Absolutely. Um, in, my, in my walk. So we'll talk about faith here in a little bit. Let's talk um, a little bit about sports. You're a coach now. So what point did you decide to pursue coaching as a career and kind of talk about where you began that journey? So I, I entered Hardin-Simmons in the fall of 97. And uh, I, I really, like I said, I had no background in college. My family, nor my family had uh, really gone, made it past the first year or gone at all. Uh, no one had graduated, and so when I got in, I asked, kept asking my mom, what do I want to do? What's the, what do I feel like you know, is, is my calling? And she said, well, pray about it and just go. Just take some classes and feel like, and, and what, you, what do you want to do? You know, she didn't have great advice on that because she <laughs> didn't make it through. And, um, I made it about two weeks, three weeks into the semester, and they said, hey, we need you to declare a major. 
And uh, <laughs> I, I was like, I, I don't know what that means. And I went and saw my counselor, and, and uh, it was a gentleman named Michael Whitehorn. And uh, he said, Carrie, what do you love? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I love Jesus. And he's like, well, that's, that's a great answer to be at Hardin Simmons and love Jesus. And I said, yeah, it's easy, isn't it? And uh, he said, well, what, do you, what do you feel like you enjoy doing? And I said, I loved playing football. Hmm. And uh, he said, but you're not playing now. And I said, I'm not very good. I just love playing football. And he said, why'd you love it? And I said, because my coaches love me, and they, they made me feel important, and they made me feel like I was a part of something, and, and I felt like I was a part of something when I did it. So I did baseball because of that. I did football because of that. I ran track because of that. And tried out for basketball. wasn't great. We played a little bit. But it became evident as we're having the conversation that, that I knew that I wanted to be where God wanted to be. I knew I wanted to love people. And education and coaching was the, was the best path. Um, so I declared my major as history and English, a minor in English, and then I moved forward and um, continued that. And when I got to Baylor, I changed it to a double major. So I double majored in history and English. And then coaching, of course, in Texas, you don't have to necessarily have a degree in, in coaching. You just have to have a desire to do it and a want and mm-hmm. have somebody take a chance on you and hire you. Um, and that's what I did. I was really lucky that when I was at Baylor, I got to volunteer for Kent Bechtel um, at uh, Hewitt Midway um, and, and got to meet a bunch of guys there that just kind of helped me grow as a, as a young coach about what, the, what it looked like, what it meant, what it was built to be. Um, I had no idea really what coaching was. Than, <laughs> you know, they yell at you sometimes and occasionally they paddle you if you don't show up. And so... Uh, there was a lot of growth on my part during that year and a half that I was at Midway when I was at Baylor. So, so where all of you coached since? Uh, I've got a lot, lot of places. That's that's uh, one of the few sad things about uh, coaching education that God calls you in different places. But um, my first job, I was a junior high coach at Rice Middle School in Plano. Mm. Uh, I then went to McMurray University with Steve Keenan, who was the running backs coach. Uh, I moved over that next season for a year and a half. I was at Hardin-Simmons as a assistant wide receivers uh, coach and a uh, special teams coach. Uh, I went from there into what I wanted to do, which was high school football. I'd, I'd been asked to stay at Hardin-Simmons by Coach Killing, but um, really felt God was calling me in the high school realm, and that's what I wanted to be was a high school head coach. And so uh, accepted a position at a place called the Colony High School with yeah. a man named Dan Burke there as a pass game coordinator for two years and special teams coordinator and then went to um, South Garland with Mickey Moss because um, I wanted to uh, be around the offense they were running. I uh, got to be a part of a, a kid's life named Nick Florence who was the quarterback oh, yeah. of Baylor and a phenomenal Christian man. Him and his brother, they have a twin brother Luke and they're ridiculously awesome and uh, just great family, great faith. It was awesome to be around a kid like that as a coach to see how he carried himself and be able to kind of help carry that with me where I went and, and raising my son, of course, um, my two sons and my daughter. Uh, I left South Garland with Coach Moss. He took the job at Rockwall Heath, so we went there for two years. I took my first coordinator's job in Anna, Texas, and was there for two years, and then went to Spring Westfield with a friend named Corby Meekins. I uh, was there with Corby where Ed Oliver just uh, – got to the Bills. He was one of our freshman players that year, him and his brother Marcus. Um, left Westfield, went to China Spring as the OC, and then to Grapevine as the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator, and then to Lake Worth as the AD and head football coach for three years, and then back here to Colleyville Heritage. That's a, 
That's a long journey. It is a long journey. It's a, my wife is the most patient person. I was going to say, as a, as a married guy, that's going to be tough. You, know, you mentioned Nick Florence. My wife graduated from Baylor, so we follow Baylor sports, and he was probably one of our favorites to, to watch. He, not, the most, not the most athletic quarterback they had coming through, but um, just the way he carried smartest, himself. He may have been the smartest player that ever went there. Like yeah. he, he just he understood everything about the game, and he was, uh, but he was so competitive so awesome um, cannot say enough about that kid um, still one of those kids you just when you see him I was at his him and Rachel's what his, Rachel his wife and uh, his wedding while he was playing and uh, I just remember looking at him talk to him say what are your plans and he's like I'm gonna be a husband and a daddy and oh you don't you know I want to play in the league oh, I've got some calls but I want to be a husband and daddy and so wow. he knew early on what God was calling him to do he's very active in the church uh, they were helped start down there called Antioch that's uh, grown uh, just ridiculously, but cannot say how, how great that kid is. Just yeah. can't, can't can't quantify it. I tell my kids all the time, if you're going to find an athlete to look up to, he was, he's one that comes to mind just by the way he carried himself. I mean, never met him really, but just the way he carried himself, team first. You never read about him in the paper. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. It, they followed him. Uh, you know, when he went in, when he got his start, when uh, when RG3 hurt his, his knee. Yeah, here when. He, Blue so, red shirt, basically, yeah. right? So he he basically is, uh, you know, takes over. And even before then, he had heard it the first time, and he takes it over. And it was it was just incredible to see what he did. You know, I was I was there when he got his first win versus Murray State, and uh, or it was Kent State, I think. Um, and, and just watching those kids follow him, not because of his athleticism, because right. of who he was as a man. Uh, I think it just speaks volumes to, to those kind of kids that you know. People are going to follow you not just based on how you can act, but who you are. Right. Very good. So now you, you did mention you're here at Colleyville Heritage High School. So talk about um, your position here, but also for those that don't live in Texas, um, football's big here. So talk about any pressure that may be associated with being a high school football coach in this state. Well, uh, uh, Coach Willis hired me uh, a year, about a year ago, a little, little over a year ago. Um, gave me the opportunity to come work uh, next to my family, my sons and my daughter, next door to my wife is as well at Heritage Elementary and Heritage Middle. Um, I was hired as a receivers coach, just coming over to, to help in the offensive side of the ball. Uh, pretty quickly, he asked me to help with special teams and work with that since I've had a background there. And then shortly after in the summer, kind of gave me some more opportunities with our strength conditioning program and our um, offense. And so... Last year I worked as the co-OC and special teams coordinator, and this year uh, Coach Willis has asked me to become the assistant head coach, and I'll still keep working with uh, offense on the passing side and then also uh, the strength conditioning and special teams on the offensive side. So I've um, been very lucky to work with Coach Willis. You know, he's uh, a guy that – great football coach, um, has, a, has a great you know, testimony and story for his family as an adoptive parent of uh, three kids. Uh, Malia, Danny, and Bradley, and, and has been a, a great asset to me and a great friend to me, uh, allowing me to come over and be way more active in my family's life because uh, he understands uh, that you know distance uh, often creates even more distance when mm. you're, when you're coaching because of time, just the constraints and what you do, and those, that little time that you get, man, just is amplified the closer you are. Um, the pressure is, uh, <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Uh, you try not to think about it just because reality is your your why what's your why and my why is not you know winning football games uh, right. but at the same time the the 
the title you have as coach is you want to be able to impact kids and the, the more successful you are, a lot of times the more opportunities you have. And so uh, there is a, kind of a, a felt pressure uh, to, to be successful and to, um, to be able to put wins on the board, especially in a place like, you know, Colleyville where you've got, you know, all these uh, incredibly successful teams around us, the incredible success we've had uh, in the past couple of years being three and four rounds deep, um, you know, at uh, regional finals against Coronado um, and then South Lake across the way beating Trinity two years ago. Um, there's definitely pressure, but I think the thing that, that offsets that is just the relationships you have with kids. It's a lot easier not to feel pressure when you realize, man, I'm, I love these kids and I want them to be successful and they know that. Um, so it takes a lot of the pressure off, but it's definitely, it's definitely there. It's yeah. visible a lot of, in a lot of things. It's visible uh, in the way that we support athletics. I mean, just the reality is <laughs> the pack we're sitting in, you know, we're sitting at the Panther Activity Center here that was uh, supported by a tax bond um, that people decided this is important to us as a community. And so we don't take that lightly. I mean, it's, it's a blessing to have and we take care of it, but we understand that everything comes with expectations and it's part of the reason we coach. I mean, it's alpha, alpha male mentality. You want to be able to, to rise above the pressure and be successful. So there's a, there's a sense of competitiveness in that as well. Yeah. As you're talking about your coaching journey, you mentioned a couple athletes, but I want to ask, just from a pure athletic standpoint, is there any others that just an athlete or two that you've coached that just really stand out? Uh, that's a great question. Um, well, there is a young man named Kendall Lawrence that I coached at Rockwell Heath that was a running back for us that's probably overall the most uh, athletic football player I've ever coached. I mean, he just could do was uniquely talented. Another one uh, there was a kid named Everett Gilbert that was one of my slot receivers at Rockwall Heath and DBs and just uh, phenomenally athletic, played in Montana. Uh, what was he, University of Montana or Montana State? I'm blanking out right now. <laughs> but he uh, just just uber talented young man. But the thing I remember about both of them, Kendall was very quiet, very competitive, but just had a great demeanor. And Everett was a little bit more confident, a little bit more verbal but just the, the most, the most hard-nosed competitor in practice and in games. Like he was just not a kid you had to coach to, to give effort. Everything was a competition to him, which I think defines for me a lot of the great athletes in our state, in our, in our colleges and in the NFL is not who is good, but who is constantly good. Who, mm. who wants to compete in everything they do um, and has the ability to lose and, and lose and learn and not lose and stand back. And I think that's the difference with those two that stand out to me is both of them, you could, they could lose a play and they were not gonna let it hold them back, but they were also so competitive that they want the next one to be a touchdown. They want mm -hmm. the next play to be a win for them. So um, those two stand out to me, I think. What about um, an athlete that you've seen God use you in their life? A testimony of that? Well, that's there's another, there's, there's a bunch that that could take precedence. The one that I've, I've talked about quickly, um, most recently has been uh, one of my athletes from South Garland, a um, kid named Adrian Parker. Uh, and Adrian was one of our uh, DBs and wide receivers. And uh, when I was at South Garland, as there was, uh, I was a running back slot uh, coach. Uh, Adrian was in my position group, but I got to work with seven on seven. I got to work with a lot of our skilled kids and uh, got really close with them because I, I ran the FCA there. And so we would have it at my house. And so we had a newborn, uh, well, a two-year-old little girl and 
everybody was daddy's daddy's players. So they would all come over and she would sit in their laps and she grew up around them. And about, uh, I want to say two years ago, about two years ago on, in November, maybe a year and a half ago in November, um, Adrian got married and uh, about six months before he got married, he asked me if I would ordain, get ordained, become ordained and, and uh, handle his wedding ceremony. Wow. And it was, uh, we, we get a phone call, my wife and I get a phone call from him and we hadn't heard from him in a couple of months. And then he said, hey, I just want to let you know that I've met her and we're getting engaged. And I had known about his girlfriend at the time and um, it was just, it was really a unique thing. So we, we said, well, let's pray about this. It's pretty serious. Let's take a couple of weeks, let's take a week and pray about it. And if you, at the end of the week, if you and your fiance still feel like this is set, then you and Kelly can call me and we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what God says. And so at the end of the week on Sunday, he calls and says, coach, we prayed about it. Our families want it. You know, we want it. We just want to make sure you want it. And I said, I'm, I'm in. So I, <laughs> spent $35 and got ordained as a minister online and uh, had my first wedding. So I would say that, that just watching, um, being a part of that ceremony, and then we have a picture that's on my, on my Twitter page now and on my Facebook page that um, is me with all of my boys. And it was all the boys from South Garland that I coach. And in that picture, one of them is a young man named Clay Causey, who was his, Adrian's best man, or one of Adrian's best man. And, um, Clay was on that same team and played with uh, Adrian and grew up with him. And I ended up hiring Clay when I was at Lake Worth. Clay was my junior high receivers coach and mm. I promoted him and became my assistant baseball and varsity assistant wide receivers coach uh, two years ago. So just the, the relationships that come out of it that as at my age now and as a head coach and as coordinator that I'm hiring kids that I've coached before, hiring, hiring young guys that I've seen them go from high school kids to you know, dads and uh, Adrian uh, is due in the next three months to have his first little wow. girl. So it's a, it's a very unique um, way that God has been able to kind of show me through some of those relationships, just how important what we do is. So what would you say um, would be your greatest memory or accomplishment so far? As coach? Yeah. Man, I've even went over these questions. Um, <laughs> greatest accomplishment. Or memory, or there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of fun football memories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we beat Ennis in a really tight game uh, when I was at uh, Rockwall Heath. And we we had a big. We went undefeated. Beat uh, beat Highland Park game ten week uh, week ten uh, on a Thursday night at our stadium at home. Uh, wow! And in an overtime game, uh, and I've known Coach Allen for years, and being able to walk across the street and you know walk across the field and shake his hand and know what kind of uh, tradition story uh, tradition they have at, at Highland Park and that was a cool memory just waking up the next morning on Friday going to school and knowing that you have a district championship banner and, wow and that's we huge it. Uh, we went four rounds and ended up losing um, to Sulphur Springs who was the eventual champion then so that was a neat uh, a neat 14 game year um, you know I had a I had an 0-10 uh, season uh, at the Colony our first year, and so I remember the first game we won the next year when we beat Carrollton Arnold Turner in a non-district game, and, and just I remember the, the physical elation of the kids. I remember one of my kids tackling me and taking me on the ground, <laughs> telling me he loved me, so that's, I remember that. Um, there's, there's a lot of memories. What about on the other side of it? I know when I sent you the questions, I use the word disappointment, but what maybe is the greatest challenge so far? Grace challenge. Um, 
Probably most recently would have been, you know, I, I had the chance, uh, God opened the door for me to be the head coach and AD at Lake Worth uh, three years ago. And uh, I was there for three, three seasons, three years. And um, uh, like I told you earlier, just the idea of knowing that God called me there not to necessarily be successful in, on the field, um, knowing that it's possible with him. Like I never went in with the idea that, well, this is a lost cause. We're not going to win. I'll just go love Jesus. Um, but knowing, and, and, and as I'm going in, knowing this is not going to be me as a football coach just because I'm good, we're going to suddenly be successful. Right. Um, when you're playing the Kennedales of the world in Springtown and, and you're you know, out-athleted by 30, they've got 64 on the field, you've got 32 on the field. You, you know that there's a gap there. But um, the most difficult thing was that, just knowing that God's calling you to be there and say, I, I'm going to put you in a valley and I need you to be faithful. I need, you, I need you to grow. And I think in the past you know, year since I left, that's probably the thing I see the most is that it's not always our comfort. I think sometimes we get lost as Christians in this idea that God wants us to constantly be comfortable. And it's so not true. I mean, he wants to grow us. And, and the times that we typically grow the most are not when we're most happy, but when we're most satisfied in his sovereignty and his, his ability to, to help us and guide us. So that, that was definitely a, a time that, you know, a lot of weight loss, a lot of uh, a lot of late nights, a lot of a lot of stress headaches, but but it was an awesome opportunity. I'm very thankful for it. There's a there's a lot of really good football coaches in the state of Texas that have never had a chance to be a head coach or an AD, and and I had that, so I'm very thankful for that. And you've you've talked a little bit about already maybe the challenge of uh, being a coach, especially a football coach, and the toll it can take, especially on family. So how do you balance, you talked about how great your wife is, so how do you balance the demands of it with being a husband and a dad? That's a, that's, I think that's a great question, especially for young coaches. Like for me, I have a lot of, I have several mentors that are guys that I looked at professionally and said, you know, you, even as odd as, hey, you don't know me, but I really respect you. Would you, can I get your phone number and will you let me call you when I have questions? And you would be amazed at how guys are just, Absolutely. Just give you, mm -hmm. call you and check on you. Um, and so I think having mentors is one thing. Um, I think the other part of managing all of it is you've got to know, especially if you're young and you're unmarried uh, and you want to go into coaching, especially in Texas, if it's your passion, you feel like it's got what God, this is what God wants you to do. Um, before you, before you choose a spouse, you better pray real hard that she's called into the same thing mm. as you because it's not a one person calling. Um, my wife and I had, had dated, uh, when, we, when I got to Baylor, when I met her, I was volunteer coaching at the time at Midway. So my coaches, the guys that I worked for basically said, you need to start having her come to Friday night games. She needs to hang out with our wives. You need to start you know, bringing her into this because I didn't really know what I was getting into. They were helping me learn and they were at the same time mentoring her and her, their wives were mentoring her. Um, as a matter of fact, we couldn't do marriage counseling because uh, we were going to get married in Abilene and our pastor was there and we were in Waco. So the receivers coach, who is now the head coach at Fairfield, Texas, John Bechtel, Kent's son, uh, John and I became really close and his wife and him said, Stacy and him said basically, why don't you come over on Sundays for the next month and we will do your premarital counseling. And so that's who I got marital counseling through was a coach and it was the best thing for us because we got to talk about the hard mm -hmm. issues same thing how do you gone all fall gone from july to december god willing um how do how do you handle that as a wife well, my wife 
and I have sat down and said, look, here's the rules. I, I'm not going to ask you, and the kids can't do anything that asks you to do more than what you're already doing. So we don't do fall baseball. We don't do fall sports um, unless they're in junior high. So right now, my daughter was in junior athletics. Um, she did only what was junior athletics, and we were there because I was there. We were in the same district. My son uh, plays baseball. My middle son, Doug, plays baseball, plays uh, seven-on-seven football. He never plays fall baseball because that's just one more thing that my wife would have to do mm. without me because I know I'm not going to be available. Um, we make times. We, uh, we eat dinner together every night, so I eat sometimes late with them. If, it's, if I'm here when I was at Lake Worth, we would meet uh, once a week and have dinner together. Um, Saturday afternoons are times where we come together, watch football, and we all fall asleep on the couch because that's the only thing Dad can do. <laughs> I, I make dinner and we go out on Saturday nights, and then as soon as they're put down about 8.30, I go back and I watch film at the house. So we just set standards. We always, we're always at church on Sunday. We do not miss church for any kind of athletic event in the spring, and we use our springs as catch-up time. Our Saturdays and Sundays uh, during the springtime are pretty sacred for us, so... Um, we, we, we usually don't, um, our kids don't go over and spend the night with people or we don't, um, have people over. We try to spend that time with them in the spring to kind of try to catch up. That's good. I like that. Um, that's stuff that no matter what profession, I mean, obviously it's good for coaches, but anybody, um, to set those ground rules, especially the, uh, eating dinner together. That's a challenge. I know our family, we got three kids and there's some weeks you look back and go, do we even sit at the table once together? Yeah. And our kids are not overly involved. It's just it just it's difficult. It happens, and, and, and I think society is is mimicking that. Like that's yep. why it's such we make that such a priority to say, look, if we if we sat down, even if it's going out to dinner, right? You know, we we don't put our we put our phones in the car. We don't look at our phones. My, the only time I really ever get yelled at is if Dad pulls his phone out. When I was an AD and head football coach, I always had my phone out because people were constantly in contact with me. So when that went away, my wife and my kids were like, Dad, put your, put your phone away. Yeah. So, so it's, definitely a, it's definitely something you've got to be purposeful about. You yeah. Can't, you can't let it just happen. Right. And I think it's a slippery slope, too. At least I know I've seen in our family where, you know, we've kind of allowed some of the busyness to come in. And then, you know, then my wife and I, we try to pull it back together. And then it's almost... Well, you too get late comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Your kids, kids are like, can we just go watch TV? Can I just eat in my room? Can I just, can we, can I not? I'm going to eat now. Y'all eat later. Um, so it, I think very much, I think that's the, the calling God has for us to as parents is you have to be able to say, look, it's been a long day. I'd really just like to throw a burger down and go lay down. I need to end tired. I need to end tired. I have, I have 18 years that I'm guaranteed with these kids. I better end tired yep. today. Because uh, if I don't, like you said, trying to rein it back in it's is so hard. a whole lot harder. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah for sure. This next question is more about the role of sports in our culture. I mean, it's no secret that um, we live in a very divided culture. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine today on the phone, and we we're talking about there's really only two international languages that everybody understands: food and sports. You know, and so I want to ask your experience in sports whether it's breaking political socioeconomic religious race barriers how have you seen that well i think that it's one of the reasons i love what i do because on the field nobody cares i mean I, you know i don't see a black kid or a white kid or a hispanic kid or whatever i see what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong based on our scheme based on our expectations it, it doesn't matter to me because the helmet i mean i always say the helmet's the great equalizer because i can't tell 
you turn your back to me, you got pads on, and unless your arms are visible, I can't see what color you are. I don't care what color you are. I'm only going to judge you based on what you put on film. Um, you know, I, I think that it should be the perfect picture of what God wants from us, a group of people working together for a common goal mm-hmm. that are going to succeed and going to fail. In the end, every time you play a team sport, one team walks away unhappy, one does not, and you either win from it and you're happy or you learn from it and you grow. And I think that society, what societies try to do is take us away from team and create the individual. Yep. I mean, Twitter does it. Facebook does it. Everything is about me. How do I feel? What do I want you to know about me? Yeah. And football for me and baseball and soccer and softball and all these team sports and, and just athletics as a whole, it's so much about the whole. It's so much about us and and everything that you do impacts me and everything I do impacts you um, you know I have instances all the time throughout my career I could say well you know I look at a kid and it doesn't matter whether I'm a white coach or a black coach or a black kid or a Hispanic kid or a white kid affluent or poor all of them are flawed all of them want one thing they want to be successful and they want to know that you're gonna set boundaries mm. that's the one thing I would say for all of the kids they all want boundaries um, and as adults, we want boundaries. Yep. Um, my wife and I were talking about the other day, just thinking, you know, how hard it is to be successful in a business when it's freeform, when it's a guy that walks in and says, hey, guys, I don't care how you get it done, but just get it done. Well, then you turn in a project that was freeform, and it's not what he wants. If you give me no boundaries, how do I know where to go? Well, kids crave that. It's what fields do. It's what courts do. It's what lines do. They create a... a a goal and an end time that we can set and we can see and we can gauge. And so I think the, the sad part about it is we want so much of everything to be defined by, you know, how do I feel racially, socially, politically, mm-hmm. and religiously. And, and God has just said very clearly, look, I don't care what you have, where you are, what you do, serve. Go serve. Yep. That's all I want you to do. I don't want you to feel good about Everything you do, I don't want you to feel bad about everything you do. I want you to love other people because what you do is when you get in between those lines and I'm not worried about my success, I'm worried about our success, I'm going to see your needs and I'm going to go meet them. I'm going to go find what you need and I'm going to go meet it because I know if you succeed, I succeed. I don't care if you score or I score. We end up being successful. So I I feel like that, that sports should be the ultimate picture of what God wants for all of us, which is all of us pulling the same way. Yep, everybody working together. Yep, I think it's beautiful. I think sports is a beautiful picture of what the church, the big C church, should be. Absolutely. You know, that's it's it's that's community. Good. It's it's sharing. It's sacrifice. It's love. It's grace. It's failure. It's success. It's not meant to be perfect, and it's not always pretty. Yep, that's good. The next question: um, We have a lot of student athletes and coaches that listen, and you know, it's no secret that. It's not as easy as it once was, especially in the public school setting, to be bold mm-hmm. in your face. So what advice or encouragement would you offer that athlete or a coach that is a believer but maybe struggling with how to leverage that platform of athletics? Well, you know, when I was young, I, I'm a quote guy. I love having quotes mm-hmm. around me and, and just visual images. And one of the quotes that I have in my room for years is, preach the gospel always, use words if necessary, you know, St. Francis of Sissy. And I think that that rings true still today. I, I still, every day in my classroom, I'm preaching the gospel. Um, every day on the field, I'm preaching the gospel. Um, 
my actions, my words, how I love my wife when she shows up and I've had a bad day and my kids see me kiss her or my kids run up and want to spend time with me before I go to a meeting and my players are waiting for me and they see me come up. Am I loving my son? Am I, am I holding him accountable? Uh, am I holding them accountable? So I think that it's not near as hard. I really don't think it's near as hard as we make it seem in public education. Hmm. I think what we want is the easy route to just say, I should be able to stand up and say, quote scripture. Well, you can legally. I mean, you can stand up in your classroom in a history classroom and teach the Bible. Why? Because it's part of your class. I mean, we get to teach world religions. We get to teach about all those things. I just don't get to tell you this is the only one I want. I just get to show you and then all my kids, I don't have, I tell all my kids at the end of the year, you don't know where I stand politically. In, in my American government class, you should never know where I stand politically. But I bet at the end of it, you're going to have some strong clues as to what you think I stand for. Right. Absolutely. Whether I'm a Democrat or Republican doesn't matter, but you're going to know based on what I teach and what I tell you is successful and fit, is good and bad that you're going to have an idea. Mm-hmm. Well, my face should be no different. If it's, right. not, if it's not evident, if you don't have a clue that I'm a Christian, then that's me. That's that's the lack Being of my, that's not someone else. That's not the school holding me back because I've been places where I've never told kids anything about my faith. And all of a sudden, coach, I want to talk to you about you know the Lord. I want to talk mm. to you about your faith. And you're like, I've never talked to you about it. Well, I, I just feel like, and that, or they say things like, could you give me advice? Could you help me? I feel like you, I just feel like you're an honest person. Once they come to me and say that, okay, let's talk about that. Do you want me to tell you why I feel this way? That's or right. This way? Let's talk about the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to force that down anyone's throat. God's open doors. I mean, he says clearly that creation screams his glory. It's there. It's visible everywhere. We miss it because we're waiting for the free, easy way to go say it. And we want it to be said our way. So um, I, said, I don't think we're as hamstrung as we like to pretend we are. I just think that we don't. It's easier not to talk about it. You know, mm. My experience is this too: is as a as a Christian coach, as a you know, as a man that loves Jesus, I'm going to screw up. I'm going to I'm going to fail today at practice. Uh, I was talking to a kid and I, I got you know got lost my temper. I didn't cuss or anything, I didn't do anything, but I said something to him that offended him. He didn't like the way I said it, and he was right. I didn't I didn't approach the situation correctly, and so. I get done with uh, our practice session. I walk over. He's mad at me. I grab him. I said, walk with me. We walk. And I looked at him and said, I've got to tell you, I'm sorry. I screwed up. And he looked at me like, okay. And I said, you know, do you understand that I'm telling you that I don't agree with what you did, but how I handled that was wrong. It's the wrong way to handle it. And you need to know that. Well, then I pulled our team together, our little group of receivers, my my unit. And I pulled them together and I said, hey, you know what? I messed this up. Y'all saw it. He saw it. And y'all need to know that I apologize, and I'm telling you I apologize to y'all and him for dealing with this. And I think what the reason why I do that, I've done it a hundred times in my career, is because it's the same thing I do with my kids. Mm-hmm. They need to see me take ownership for my mistakes yep. and not say, do as I say, not as I do. And so that relationship is, is healed, and it's better, and it's not perfect, but it's going to be better because he looks at me, and my last question was, do you believe I love you? And his answer was, yes, sir, I do. Do you believe I care about you? Yes, sir, I do. Then you know where that came from. Yes, sir, I do. But it's still hurt. Yes, sir. Well, we end that way and we're good. When I don't, I just say, your feelings are hurt. Oh, well. Well, then what does he learn? Well, he learns that I'm not going to, he knows I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. The other players know I'm wrong. A coach is just going to stand over there and pretend like everything is okay. Well, that's what I'm going to do next time. 
I hope so. We're, we're giving them lessons and we're teaching, you know, like the gospel is free access all the time. We just have to apply it. And that's way more difficult than people like to think. It's a lot more difficult to apply the gospel than it is to actually talk about it. We that's can, right. We can read scripture. We can put quotes on our deal. We can put bumper stickers up. But what happens when I'm faced with me being wrong and God needing me to humble myself? Am I willing to do it? Yep. That's good. I like that. A lot of people have a favorite verse. So is there a scripture that's one of your favorites or maybe one that God used in your life recently you'd share with us? There is a, there's a verse that, that I based my mission statement on as a head coach and I've used for years and I stole, I didn't steal the verse, obviously. God, right. God's very good with that. Um, um, but coach and coach Allen, Randy Allen has had something he's used for years at uh, Holland Park called the four square life. And, um, I don't know that he's used it several times, maybe five or six times in the past 10 or 15 years, but he's something he's talked about and referred to. And I heard it when I was a first-year coach as a junior high coach in Plano. And Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. And it just clicked with me that that's my, that's my goal. That's my calling. As a man, I want to have all four of those things said about me. As a coach, I want to have all four of those things built into my program. As players, I want to create players that have that four-square life. That you know, we, we defined it, and you can look at it on Lakeworth website. It's still there, oddly enough. They kept it. Surprise, surprise. Truth is truth. But um, the first one says, you know, Jesus grew in wisdom. And so what we define that is, is wisdom is not just knowing but doing. So we can access knowledge with our phones all we want. I mean, I always tell my kids in class, I mean, you have a million dollar computer in your hand, you can access nuclear physics. That doesn't make you a nuclear physicist. Knowing and knowing and doing are two different things. So the application of your knowledge. So we say wisdom is that, that God wants you to be an intelligent, wise person, someone that knows what they should do and does it. The second thing is we say stature. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Well, physically, we believe, I believe that God designed us to not be couch potatoes, to not mm -hmm. be people that are just stagnant. That doesn't mean we're all athletes. It doesn't mean right. we all need to go work out or lose weight. It just means that God's designed us physically for our bodies to move and to compete. I believe that. I just believe that that's there. So for us to get bigger, stronger, faster, I believe that's biblical. I believe God wants us to be our best, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like, whether that be a marathon runner or a weightlifter. He wants us to be our best and challenge ourselves. So that's the wisdom and stature. And then the last two are favor with God and favor with man. So what we define that as is I said, look, what does that look like? They were like, they were real worried about the spiritual aspect. I said, here's, here's simple, something bigger than yourself. Hmm. You have to, you're, you cannot be the end all of your life. It can be about you. So we talked to our kids about the spiritual aspect. I would say, you know, point blank. I believe Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, this is where it comes from. This is why I have faith. This is what I believe in. Whatever you believe in has to be bigger than you. It can't, it can't be taken mm -hmm. away. And so there was a, a quote that I heard years ago that was, if who I am is what I have and what I have is lost, who am I? And I've used that for years. And it's, it gets a lot of traction because there's so much truth to it. If, oh, I, yeah, if I'm a, a coach, if I define myself as a coach and I lose my job and I can never coach again, I'm not a coach. If I define myself as a father and my children are taken from me by a horrible accident, I can want all I want. I'm not a dad anymore. My wife leaves me and I define myself as a husband. I'm not a husband. 
So whatever it is that I define my life, that I say this is what my God is or my religion is, my, my life is, it cannot end. It cannot be taken away. Mm. It has to be bigger than me. That's so that's good. what we defined as that. And the last one was the Jesus Christ wisdom and stature in favor with God and favor with man. And we say you are built to be social beings. You are built to be a part of a team, a community, mm-hmm. a family. You're built to be those things. So we try to create, and in my program, what I wanted to do is I wanted to create aspects for all four of those things to be brought. I wanted to be able to challenge them spiritually, relationally, physically, and mentally. And, and I feel like for me, that's kind of my life verse is I want to be those four things. And then for my programs and for the kids I coach and for the coaches I work with, that's, that should be our goal. That's good. I like that. I'm going to uh, go look that up on the website and see if it's still there. And I'm going to go, go to Luke 252 tonight when I get home. And I think there's a lot. A lot I'm just thinking as a dad, a you know, adopting that, you know, and speaking into kids. That's, that's awesome. That's for my children, that's what we talk about. That's um, good. You know, just that if you can check those four things off in your life, pretty good. I've never heard that broken down like that. That's very good. Last question. Um, relates to being all in. I mean, it's all over sports. You know, every sports team talks about being all in. But what does it look like for you in your daily walk with Christ to be all in? Because God calls us to, you know, to either be hot or cold. I think that's a great question. I think all in for me is defined by the idea of full access. Full access to God in all my life. And to, to be able to call me out and, and I think, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking to you and confirming, hey, that was a mistake. Oh, no, with my wife, with my kids, with my job, uh, with my bosses, um, to not be to be not not be defensive uh, when God tries to call me out and mm. uses other people to do it, um, and be available for God to use me to speak into other people's lives. And I think uh, one of the things to be all in for me when I when I visualize that idea, it's just access, just just giving God a door, saying, "Look, if you want me to go." I'm going to say yes, even if it's uncomfortable. And I think that's the hardest thing I've learned as an adult is, am I willing to be uncomfortable because Jesus wants me to be? And, and it's, it's easy to say, yes, 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 God, take me wherever you want me. But I'm just, you know, yes, God, Lake Worth. I know, I know, I know it may not look good on my resume or my record, but you're saying go, I'm going to trust it. That was hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was hard when you're you're somewhere for a year and you feel like this is where God's going to keep me. And then a year later, he's like, I need you to go here. Mm. And you're like, hey, babe, I'm sorry. I love you. We just bought a house. Can we move? And the answer is, if God says yes, then let's go. And uh, you talked earlier about, you know, the relationship and how do you handle that being a coach. One of it, that's the center of our relationship is my wife and I looking at each other going, I know that when I make a decision, I'm not making it about me. And I know when you make a decision, you're not making it about you. It's, 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 we both clearly believe that God's going to lead us where we need to go as long as we're listening. So that's the all in piece to me is that my family's, God's got that. God's got my walk with him daily. He's got my job. He's got my, uh, my finances, whatever he needs. I want to be willing to give that to him and not just talk. That's good. I like that. I always, uh, it's always a challenge. The most challenging part is be willing to be uncomfortable. Because everybody likes to be, I, me included, I love to be comfortable, right? Homeostasis, right? It's yeah. science. Go back to the norms. Everybody loves to be comfortable. Hey, well, I appreciate your time. I know it's a busy time in the spring with a lot, lot going on football-wise, and so I appreciate you taking some time to to share your story. Well, thank you for having me. This was a blessing, man. It's awesome. I think it's a great deal you're doing. Thank you. 
Well, hope you enjoyed hearing from Coach Timmerman as much as I did. I know I was encouraged by my time with him and getting to know him and hearing his story and his passion. And I hope you got a, a glimpse of that. And as he reminded us that sports is just a beautiful picture of community, of grace, of love. And it's just a perfect picture of what God calls all of us to do we call ourselves believers in Christ is to live in unity and live together. We're all a part of one team, one body. And he talked about that um, our actions should speak louder than our words, not just telling people about Jesus, but how we live. Our life is the evidence to others. When they look at you and me, there should be evidence, there should be fruit that we're followers of Christ, not just by what we say. And just lastly, that we should always just be available to God. We've talked about this. If you're a listener of this podcast, you've heard this over and over again about being obedient and being available. And he talked about that we need to be willing to be uncomfortable as well. So I'd ask you to share this episode with family and friends. If you're a first-time listener, click the subscribe button. So you can continue to get these episodes automatically downloaded to whatever podcasting platform you listen to and also have access to the previous 76 episodes. We also love your feedback. You can reach us on our Facebook page, All In Sports Outreach, or on our website, www.allinsportsoutreach.org. Also, both of those sites, you can find out opportunities to pray for us, to serve with us, and to give. And lastly, if this episode encouraged you, I ask you to go to iTunes, leave us that five-star review. The more reviews we get, the greater the platform to continue sharing the gospel and sharing these stories of sports and faith through media. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.